0: Like how you decide which sperm to use. The cold, hard truth of fertility. Your reality of dating as a single mother who doesn't have a co-parent to rely on for occasional childcare.
1: And what it's actually like
0: to parent as an SMC. This is the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice podcast. Hey, Pod. Thanks for joining us again this week. We are going to be talking about what happens when things do not go as planned? And we have a very special guest this week, a very special VOGA SMC. Her name is Kimberly, and she is a beloved part of our community. Kimberly, do you want to tell the audience about yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm
2: Kimberly. I am from New York. I have a daughter via IVF. She's going to be two in three months. She's 21 months old now, and her name is Meridian. It was a road to birthing her and bringing her into the world but it's been great. I work at a high school as a teaching assistant in special education and I'm currently a full-time grad student studying public health specifically interested in maternal and reproductive health from my experiences leading to motherhood.
1: So let let let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about your story and what led you to the the SNC path.
2: I actually Have thought about it a lot since I started joining SMC groups. When was that shift that I was like okay with having a kid by myself? And it's for as long as I can remember, I've always been fine with like you know when other people are making packs like if we're not married by this (laughs) we're gonna marry each other. Like I'm sure I like engaged with conversation about those, but I was I was always just like if I don't have a kid by thirty, I'm just gonna do like start doing what I gotta do to have a kid on my own, and that's kind of just always been the way that I viewed it and there just became a point where I was dating to look for someone to have a kid with
0: mm. and I was
2: like you know what I want the family more than the partner so yeah. let's just yeah. make the family right. so that's kind of what yeah you know it just was a natural progression for me when I turned 30 I was like you know what I am ready to go ahead and start so I you know went through that year I enjoyed the job I was at for that year and then when I turned 31 I went on a Long solo travel trip just to get that out, and then I came back and I started the process.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So I love that you had that realization when you were dating that you were like, Wait a second, I'm like interviewing these people for a partner to have a child with. And I think so many of us do that, you know, especially when like we're pushing 30, and then if you think about like how long it actually takes to make sure you like know this person well enough to co-parent with them. I think so many people just don't even think about the what's happens next. They're so yes. focused on like checking that baby box. So I love that you like, before you got too far down the darn rabbit hole, you were like, wait a second. No,
2: yeah, <laughs> no I definitely realized I was like, uh,
1: this isn't what I, what I wanted to." Do. well, because I think the reality hits like you're, you're like, I could do this. I could do this, dude. I can have him in my life forever. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I I can do this person in my life forever. But then the reality hits when you think about that child, that child is totally innocent. Right. And then I know for me, I had a passing thought, like, but what if this doesn't work? Right. Mm-hmm. What if, what if this this person is dating someone who's ratchet ass? <laughs> ratchet as <laughs> ass. <laughs> someone, and, and you're just like, yeah, no, no. And then you you really can't say no, right? Because that other person legally has rights to the kid and you have to be, you have to come to terms with being okay with not having that degree of control. And, you know, some things, you know, work out for the good and some things, you know, people are strange and, you know, you have an innocent little nonverbal,
0: you know, few month old. Yeah. So part of the struggle that many women face is that, they feel a discomfort with the stigma of being a single mom. Like, did you feel that? Or did you kind of like have enough people in your community or in your village that you were kind of like, I know I can do this. I've seen other people who do it.
2: So I, it's terrible to say, I actually just didn't even think about what people would think about me being a single mom, because there are a lot of things that have stigmatized me through my life. I have I don't consider myself heavily tattooed because I did work in the industry with people who are heavily tattooed, but I'm considered heavily tattooed for working in schools. And, um, I've, you know, had a lot of piercings and colorful hair. So there's always just been people that are going to look at me however they want. And I've just frankly never cared after my daughter was born. The only way in which I've thought about it is how it would impact her and the way people treat her,
0: Mm -hmm. but
2: families are just so diverse at this point. That I feel like at the point where it may be more of an issue for her, there are just going to be so many examples I can point her to, to say, look at this different family structure, look at that different family structure, that Mm -hmm. me being a solo mom and it being my choice isn't going to be, you know, as crazy as, you know, I just never really worried about how people are going to view me. The only Mm -hmm. time I started thinking about it is how people are going to treat my daughter as for me, I'm just like, I don't yeah. really care what people think about me. I, you know, I'm always ready to pull out the like, are we gonna, you know, do the comparison, the keeping up with the Joneses? Cause I'm sure there's plenty yeah. of things you've done in your life that I'm not trying to do. And there's plenty of things I've done in my life that you're not trying to do. You know, yeah. I grew up, like I've always been fine going on dates by myself, going to movies by myself, traveling mm-hmm. by myself. So these were always things that people were like, you're you're going to do that by yourself. So when mm-hmm. it came to becoming a mother by myself, I feel like everybody was so desensitized by my personality. <laughs> they were like, that's
0: just Kimberly. <laughs> <But> it just, <laughs> just makes no sense. <laughs>
2: it was like a non-issue because I just remember when I decided to do it, there was never that conversation where anyone pulled me aside. No one in my actual circle pulled me aside. Right. And I was like, Are you sure? Because they were just like, oh, that's just Kim. And all yeah. of my best friend's parents were like, yeah, that's Kim. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. that's <all> right.
2: <laughs> because mm-hmm. I am queer, even though I've dominantly dated men in my life, I'm not solely attracted to men. I, so there was always the possibility that I would have needed to do fertility treatment. So it was always mm-hmm. something I was open to. And I've just never solidly been able to envision what my future would be. I've never really dreamed about what a proposal would be like. Um, the mm-hmm. only part of my wedding I ever think about is the party. Like
0: <laughs> what? Awesome. I'm so serious. for I me, the cake,
2: <laughs> Yep. for me the cake <laughs> party swag surf like that that's what I've always thought about I've already decided yeah. about
0: getting married I'm just gonna elope because I can't handle all the wedding stuff I'm just oh, going well, to I cake tastings oh I want a party oh, I just, want, party. I just, just want it to be a very small party on like a tropical island <laughs> I'm just going to cake tastings <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: okay so that you were pretty, pretty young it. when you started this journey like did you expect that it was going to be super easy? Like did you have expectations on like how it was going to be based on your age?
2: So I didn't so based on my age I hoped it would be easier than I was preparing for. So I started at 31, but at 27 I'd had a major fibroid removal surgery. There's a lot of different ways you can get fibroids removed, and the most severe is to have a vertical incision done. Mm-hmm to remove the fibroids in an open surgery. And that's what I needed because I had with the post-surgical notes listed as a basketball sized tumor. And then wow. some others that were removed. So it was about nine pounds of tumors. I had to have my intestines repaired during the surgery. So I'd had this major surgery. I knew I had a bunch of scarring in my uterus. Uh, my doctor was monitoring me pretty frequently for new growth. And within six months, I had new fibroids. I knew going in my doctor that I have now it was her father that was the lead on my surgery. And he told me he was very honest. He said, you have about five years before I predict that you would need another myomectomy. Because that kind of aggressive growth in somebody in their mid 20s mm-hmm. is going to happen again, like it's likely to happen again. So I had already decided 30. So I was like, that's fine. <laughs> Let's do this. You're like I'm good. I have like uh-huh.
0: three more years. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. I didn't
2: expect it to be the easiest to mm-hmm. carry, but I really hoped that the getting pregnant part would be pretty straightforward. So I started with medicated IUIs because I was like, let me not go super invasive because I might be lucky. And three medicated mm-hmm. IUIs failed. And I said, Give me my diagnosis of infertility. I'm ready to move on to IVF because I did my research and I knew three was all I was willing to do. Um, but I was prepared for the off chance that it would be difficult Mm -hmm. because I, I don't take anything for granted with fertility. Like it's not as easy as everyone acts like.
1: So let's, let's take a step back for a little bit in SMC spaces. A lot of times we get the question, how many of you got pregnant on your first IUI or your first IVF? And I know internally I cringe, you know, because I know where they are coming from. They are thinking, I just got up the nerve to do this. Mm-hmm. I told my people I want it to be done and done. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I hear people say that, I don't want to be
2: the negative Nancy. <laughs> I don't want to be. That person, but I also, I just think we spend so much time focused on not getting pregnant that we're set up Mm -hmm. to assume that it's going to be easy to get pregnant. I had it in my mind that it wouldn't necessarily be so and I changed a few things in my life to prepare for the possibility. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because I remember being disappointed by my first failure, but not surprised. Because I was like, it's not a given.
0: But I think that's important to note though, that even though you knew that it wasn't going to be easy, it's still it's still really disappointing when it doesn't oh, work. Absolutely. I mean, it's like I think the reason why this journey can be so emotional is that every single month, you know, we build it up to like we have this like, you know, fictitious baby in our brain that's like, okay, this is the one. And then when it doesn't work, it's like a tremendous feeling of loss, of like, yeah. oh.
2: And knowing your exact window of conception kind of adds to it because mm-hmm. I am that person that's like, okay, if I got pregnant this time, let me go to the due date calculator and yes. See yes. when this baby's <laughs> yeah. like you know, you, you
1: get into it because uh-huh. it's very different when you know. And then like with each failure you can hear the cash register, cha-ching, cha-ching, mm-hmm. because especially if you're paying out of pocket and especially if you are trying to build money as you go, it's just, okay, so I did this IUI, please let it work, please let it work. And then if it doesn't work, how long you wait between that IUI and the next one is dependent on your reserves, right? Your cash reserves, or you are looking at you know, the uptick of debt. And Mm -hmm. so there is a whole psychological aspect where, yeah, you do want it to work the first time, but you also really want it to work because you're not sure if you can afford the next time. And so, Mm -hmm. so yeah, very real, um, concerns.
2: I, um, I had actually done some prepping in just in case. So I left the job that I had. For a few reasons. One was I found it very important to be near doctors that I trusted. Mm -hmm. And the, like I said, the lead on my surgery was my current doctor's father. She became my doctor after and I've been with her ever since. And she's always really listened to me. You know, if I said I wanted to do a check in four months to check for fibroids, that's what she signed me up for. There was never an argument. Mm -hmm. There were always just very honest conversations between us. So Mm -hmm. I was always like, it's very important for me to be near her. That was one reason I was working in New York City, and she's in Long Island. So I came back to Long Island. The second reason was that I knew working for the education system, like the public school education system, I would have insurance that would Mm -hmm. cover a lot in the realm of fertility. So I started before my insurance took effect. But I had left my job, I took a pretty significant pay cut. I moved back home because I was like, just in case, Mm -hmm. let me have this insurance in place. And there's still out out of pocket costs. You know, I still Mm had to pay for the donor sperm, the shipping, the thawing, Mm -hmm. the um, co-pays for medication, but the impact wasn't as massive. And like Mm -hmm. over time, over my getting pregnant and pregnancy, I made that pay cut 10 times over because I did not have have time.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think that's also really smart. Like people have to think about, you know, just the pre-planning of how much it's going to cost. But I think that the fact that you had uh, some idea of how, of how, how it wasn't going to just be a walk in the park, but I want to talk about fibroids because we know fibroids are rampant in the black community. And we know it comes up in our space a lot where women are asking questions about fibroids. So. I'm curious, like how you learned you had fibroids and what your doctor told you about, like how they would impact your
2: fertility. So I was pretty terrible about regularly going to the gynecologist. Like, you know, I would go every so often, but you know, I, in college, you could get tested without going to the gynecologist, you could get things. Mm -hmm. And I never um, went on birth control because I always knew that like, I wanted a baby. (laughs) So I just (laughs) never went on birth control, practice other forms of of, uh, safe sex or whatever. So I just, I was lucky, I guess I was asymptomatic for my first surgery. No idea. The only reason I went to the doctor was because I had a coworker who was pregnant at the time and I felt this like solid mass in my abdomen. And we were joking Mm -hmm. that my stomach felt like her stomach. And I was like, it's kind of getting, yeah, I was like, it's getting a little weird that my stomach's so hard and it's not going away. I thought Mm -hmm. it was gas, tried stuff for gas, like didn't work went to a doctor and he was like, are you positive you're not pregnant? And I was like, I'm absolutely positive. I'm not pregnant. <laughs> you are
0: like, if I am, this is going to be an interesting <laughs> day. <surprise."> the second <laughs> coming. Yes. Uh-huh. So he
2: made me take a pregnancy test and he was like, you, you need to go to the hospital and get an MRI. Mm-hmm. Went, got the MRI. And this is actually what kind of started my path in uh, thinking about going back to school. Well, when I decided to go back to school, this was the start to it. I went to the hospital once the emergency room had speculum after speculum put in me because everyone was like, Yo, we can't see anything past your cervix. Mm-hmm. And when the results came back, I had fibroids and it was just very casually. They said, Oh, you know, just go to your gynecologist. It can be handled as an outpatient. You know, tons of women have fibroids. Here's some paperwork. After you've gone
0: through all this trauma, they're like,
2: peace out. Yeah. Goodbye. So it's take crazy. the paperwork. And I'm like reading and the one they put on the top is like, this percentage of women have fibroids, they're benign tumors, blah, blah, blah. So I start going through my actual report and it says that they, I had degeneration, which is when your fibroids lose blood supply, they start dying off. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can appear that you might have a uterine sarcoma in MRIs when you have that. So there was a little blurb about a uterine sarcoma in there. And I was like,
0: (laughs) wait a second. Uh
2: uh And then I started started Googling the measurements for the fibroids I had. The Mm -hmm. largest was 23 centimeters was the mass that they saw. So I'm Googling, not finding comparisons because, you know, everyone has the fruit chart comparisons. Mm -hmm. Not really finding it kind of build a real life model of the dimensions that they said it was. <laughs> uh, I was
0: like, you're going down the rabbit hole of like Google MP right now. Like, this is
2: <laughs> wild. So I started calling gynecologist office like crazy to find who could see me as soon as possible because I was like, this, this doesn't sound normal. I got lucky a few days later. I saw actually funny enough. It was the gynecologist that delivered my younger siblings and <laughs> she immediately was like, I'm going to send you to who I would go to if I needed surgery. And that's how I ended up with the doctor. I'm at God, now because it was just, but it was very odd because the hospital was just like, so many women have these, it's fine.
0: I do have,
1: I do have two questions, right? Um, so I, I know as one of the methods for um, removing really large fibroids is possibly a hysterectomy. And I actually had a friend who we were um, friends and she was in her mid thirties. And so at the time she, she was lamenting about how she wanted children. And then I was just like, yeah, you know, you can have children, you know um, just, you know, off the top of my head. And she's just like, no, I, I had a hysterectomy. And I was like, whoa. I was like, a hysterectomy? So she's in her early 30s. So that meant that she had to have had a hysterectomy like in her 20s. And so it's just like, you know, so that is her story. My story was at the time that I wanted to to try to conceive, I also was discovered to have a small fibroid. So they had to remove my fibroid. And so one of the things I was glad that I had my um, fertility specialist remove my fibroid because it's almost as if you have to tell people, I would like to have children one day. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. preserve my fertility. Did you have that conversation with your doctors? Or did they, you know, did they automatically assume that our our first course of action is to preserve fertility as we remove this fibroid?
2: So I was lucky I and I do say I was lucky because not everyone has the experience of stumbling into doctors who guide them the Mm -hmm. way that mine did. So the first woman I went to, as I said, she said, She couldn't see much, but based on my MRI results, she really felt like I should go to um, an oncologist, like a gynecological oncologist. So I went to him and he was very clear with me. He said, if it is a sarcoma, there's no, there's just no discussion. Like Mm -hmm. you will Mm -hmm. still have your ovaries. It will still be possible to have a biological child, but there's no discussion,
0: you know, Mm -hmm. but he said,
2: yeah. And he's, he asked me clearly, he said, do you want children? He said, absolutely. He said, you know, I'm going to speak to you a little bit about what things will be like moving forward for you with such an aggressive growth. So young, he's like, Mm -hmm. you know, let me just be honest. You will likely need another surgery in the future if you don't have a kid sooner rather than later and gave me the whole speech. But he said, if having a kid is what you want, I will do everything that I can to preserve Mm -hmm. your uterus. He did. I did have to sign for hysterectomy just because it didn't look good. Right. That, Mm -hmm. that large fibroid was just one of four. And the scans just didn't look good. And like I said, they went in and had to repair my bowel and things like that. So they've really put in the work to preserve my fertility. And that was one of the reasons that I stayed with them Mm -hmm. moving forward. And I was lucky because some people get a myomectomy, which is the surgery that you remove fibroids with. And their doctor's like, okay, we'll do a post-op and then I'll see you yearly. But my doctor was like... Mm -hmm. Let's do every 3 months for the year after the surgery, then we move to every 6 months. Like she wanted to keep up with my growth and we mutually decided when we said okay. We're basically at the time where if I start now, I might be able to have a kid before I need another surgery. So I've just been very lucky lucky to have been able to stay with doctors who discuss things with me and listen to me mm-hmm. and really put preserving my fertility and ability to carry a child first. And they've always been clear that, mm-hmm. and I another lucky thing, they've always been clear there are other ways to have a biological child, even mm-hmm. if you can't carry, mm-hmm. but they knew that that was something that I wanted. So,
1: so yeah. Kim, so let's talk about, okay, so now you get your fibroid removed and now you're on the path to um, trying to conceive as an SMC. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to have the conversation about, what what do you do what what's your mindset it, when things don't necessarily go as planned right because i don't think anyone comes to the snc path i don't think most people come to the snc path like oh you know i'm going i'm going to prepare myself for if this doesn't you know work if i have to work with alternative options, right? So we're thinking like, yes, I am going to go on this essence path. And that's the hardest thing that I'm going to have to do, yeah. have the conversation with my family. But I think all of us on this conversation know that there are just life happens that is unexpected. And when you're doing this alone, or without a partner, it can almost be like double the, the burden, double the pain, double the hurt, because it's, it's just you. So can you talk us through that a little bit and then talk about what your support system looked like during this time?
2: As I said, you know, I didn't necessarily expect it to work right away, but I also didn't expect to need to move on to IVF. So I was kind of in this gray area where I hoped IUI would work. It's medicated, you know, I'm increasing my chances. I know there's a problem with my uterus, but you know, I just didn't expect it not to work. And you know, I am very much a contingency person. So like, if this doesn't work, what is my next course of action? So when the first one didn't work, I knew automatically I was going right into a second. When the second didn't work, I knew that I would go to a third because I had read, you know, three is once you do three, your chances aren't getting any better after that. It's just like a numbers game. Maybe eventually you'll get pregnant. So I knew that was the limit for me. Um, Going into my third cycle, I got a rapid cyst growth. It was canceled. So then again, I was like another pushback. But I had, I just kept very much always looking forward, looking forward. Like, this is what I'm willing to do, and I know this is these are the steps I'm willing to take. Uh, so for me, it was just the. I think the biggest thing with moving to I, IVF was that I was, I knew it was more invasive and more of a commitment. As much as I considered for a hot second, maybe I'll just do one more IUI. I knew that I also didn't want to waste time. So going through it. By myself, I'm very, it's not that I'm not an emotional person, because I am at times, (laughs) but I can be very much a logic based person and very much removed emotionally from things sometimes. So sometimes I just had to step back and I was like, him don't get too involved with your emotions, Focus on what your next move or your next plan is. And that doesn't mean I didn't grieve when I needed to grieve, but it just, I didn't like to let gr- like the grieving process of something not working overtake what I was focused on doing and planning to do. So it was just move forward, move forward until it happened. And my support system is always interesting because I have parents who, you know, they let me move back in to my house, I was going to come back and rent with my friends again. But my parents were closer to my job and my clinic. So they were like, come back home. We don't want you alone for the process. But I've also That's never great. been a person that reaches out or leans on people a ton. So it was kind of like they knew I was doing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was, I mean, has that changed though? Like I feel like that changes after you have kids. Like that has hey. to change after you have kids.
2: Um, I mean, my my parents aren't like the people I really go to for that. So it's no great, thing, like privilege-wise, like yeah.
0: you know, so, having to rely on your village.
2: oh definitely. So I <laughs> I've always had a really great circle of friends and I love my friends to death. They're, you know, the family that I've built alongside my blood family. So I had uh, my circle of best friends who were kind of involved in every step, you know, hyping me up when I chose a donor. Like, I <laughs> that's mean, awesome. like, they're like the hype crew all the way. <laughs> like, uh, my, one of my best friends was like at a casino one day before my first transfer and was like, boom, Apple paid you some money toward the donor. Like, you know, oh,
0: that's awesome. like Bye.
2: Apple paid me half her winnings. Cause she's like, I want in on the baby. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> oh, she's like, I God. want an X percentage. <laughs> yeah, so
2: like. You know, my circle of friends were great. I was dating someone at the time that I'd been with for years. And the reason we always worked was we're both very logic-based people. So we met and we were just trying to hang and bang and ended up dating. I love your little like, your
0: chemisms, I'm going to totally use that. Can we just hang and bang? (laughs) And we ended up dating, but we were
2: both very clear from the beginning. I was like, I'm having a baby, so... That's that's that, and you know, he was like, I don't know if that's what I want. And I was like, I don't need you to want that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was in my support circle. He was very, you know, he was, he's very much like, Well, the science is there, so all you have to do is keep going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, in my circle of friends, it was just great. Like, they I rarely ever asked for rides anywhere, but when I needed a ride, they were like, All right, I got you. What do we need to do? What do you need from us? And to this day, they're still that way through. Mm-hmm my wild pregnancy. Since I've had my daughter, my circle has just been phenomenal. It's, you know, my best friends, they're just really chill people. Like I just Mm -hmm. always wish when I see in groups that people are having trouble with people accepting it or having trouble keeping friendships when they become parents. I'm like, I just always wish I could give them all like my circle because they're so like, they're amazing. I I'm lucky.
0: So let's, let's shift gears a little bit to parenting. Yeah. What did you expect? And, and, and is there anything, you know, I know you talk about how you loved every minute of it, you know, at times, but like, is there anything that kind of surprised you about the process or? I mean, more? I was
2: honestly, so I I really loved the newborn phase because the thing was I always heard like the newborn phase was like, You'll never sleep, you'll be so exhausted. It's like so oh, it So, depends on, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah. depends on the so kid.
0: It so depends on the kid. So they're like, oh,
2: you know, this and third. And I was just like, the newborn phase was so chill because I've never been a good sleeper. So it was mm-hmm. kind of like I'd be like binge watching a show when I should be sleeping and pumping. And then
0: mm-hmm.
2: Meridian would wake up and I'm like, oh, cool. You want to eat now? Let's do this. <laughs> and so uh-huh. it was chill because you know they sleep a lot. And yeah. you know, you feed them and I'm pumping. And then you know they start becoming interested in other things, and that's when things change. You know? Yeah, they become mobile, and then they start climbing, and then they become very curious. So for me, I always think back so fondly on the newborn stage because I'm
1: like, we were uh-huh. just chilling. <laughs> we were like, were I knew where I knew where you were. You weren't jumping in the pool. You yeah, weren't you eating sand. sand.
0: <laughs> I always say toddlers <laughs> oh, are little people that are just trying to kill themselves, and we oh, just dear. have to try to
1: stop them Oh dear. Because-
0: so like it's the like, newborn phase oh. was
2: like, ooh, but like you said, it does depend on the child because mm-hmm. my daughter, the first visit to the pediatrician, he was like, yeah, if I had my second kid first, there never would have been two. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and,
0: exactly. You
2: know, yeah. I always joke that Meridian and I just vibed really well. Mm-hmm.
0: In the newborn <laughs> That's phase. Awesome.
2: I mean, we had hard, to, like she was in the NICU. So I also feel there was, um, you know, once she was out, I just like, I, I, I do what I guess people call attachment parenting, you know, I co-sleep, I, I, uh, I didn't nurse her, but I did breastfeed, I pumped and fed her and like, it, it, a lot of it had to do with that time that I couldn't touch her and that I couldn't physically be close to her. So, yeah, so
0: talk, I don't think we talked about that. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like, not only did it, did it, was it not easy, it was it challenging to even just like get pregnant, right? Um, how was the pregnancy? Like, how did that go?
2: So my pregnancy physically, I felt great. I actually felt like I wasn't pregnant for a lot of my pregnancy. Like I didn't, Oh, I got (laughs) I didn't have morning sickness. I did get like motion sickness when I would fly, which I'd never had before. But other than that, Mm -hmm. you know, it was pretty chill, but it kept me on alert all the time because it was just like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like is everything okay. Um, and then I had a pretty significant issue in my pregnancy. Um, that compounded with another issue. And they were like, together, your prognosis is very, very low. So from there, my pregnancy was a lot of time spent in doctor's offices, a lot Mm -hmm. of time spent getting tests and sonograms. And then I ended up in the hospital at 26 weeks, because on top of it all, my water broke early. And I was lucky I stayed for another month. And at 30 weeks, I gave birth to Meridian. 30 weeks for a preemie isn't the worst. You know, they're pretty, usually pretty developed. But my biggest issue was that I didn't really have amniotic fluid. So her lungs just never got to develop Mm -hmm. from 19 weeks on. So she was intubated and, you know, I wasn't able to hold her. I wasn't able to do anything like that for the first 11 days of her life.
0: So Um, when you got her, you were like, I'm never putting you down. Oh,
2: it was. (laughs) I didn't even, I actually didn't even see her when she was born um, because, you know, they took her immediately. So I saw Mm -hmm. her, I had her at 4.30 and saw her at like 1.00. Okay, and so oh, for me, it was just like you know, give me like skin to was, skin, all oh, full skin oh. to skin. They were like, they were like, Miss Mitchell lives in the NICU. Like, we don't take care of her baby; she takes care of her baby. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. No. They were like, skin to skin is good for the breathing. So I was like, all right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's like skin oh, to skin. The let's peel it all. Off. <laughs> Make a skin blanket. Yeah, she, she was. She was an appendage. Like she, oh, she was great. So yeah. <laughs> so Kim, if you were. To give any advice to SNCs coming, uh, coming up, coming along, thinkers, people at the beginning of trying, what bit of advice would you give them? I
2: would say, forget about your high school health classes.
1: Oh.
2: I've gotten <laughs> into many a debate with coworkers. About high
1: they, they barely scratch the surface. Oh yeah, uh-huh. forget
2: about your high school health classes because you don't know and. I would definitely say a lot of, um, thinkers hesitate to even start anything in the process. My biggest advice would be to go ahead and do the initial consult Mm -hmm. because you You never know what you're going to find out in that consult. I was lucky that I already had surgery and I knew what was going on Mm -hmm. with my fibroids. But if you haven't had a reason to look, Mm -hmm. a lot of people never find out until they're pregnant that they have fibroids or that they have till they're trying that they have issues. So my biggest advice would be go ahead and do the consult, even if you don't plan to start everything else right away. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. my other would be, there's nothing wrong with a plan A, B. Like you have your plan A, there's nothing wrong with having a plan B in the back of your mind mm-hmm. because everything is just one step of a much longer process.
0: Right. I'm trying
2: right. for a second and it's literally Hi, just... You. Yeah. So I've, I've had, you know, I've done six transfers and unfortunately still not pregnant. Okay. Um, I had my third myomectomy. So my third fibroid removal recently. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually do go into this one thinking that I would definitely get pregnant from one of the four frozen embryos I had left
0: mm-hmm. and I did
2: not And I had to do another egg retrieval in the whole nine. And, oh. you know, a lot of people that have experienced fertility treatments are like, I feel for you like the pregnancy will happen. You just gotta keep going. But I'm like, pregnancy is just one step. So like right. the consult's just one step. Getting your medication is just one step. So like yeah. everything is one step towards such a much longer journey. So just do the steps you can until you're ready for the next step. Because waiting for everything, there's rarely ever a perfect time that everything comes together, honestly. Right. Oh, that's
0: yeah. so great. Right. Yeah. I I love, I love the um the, the joy you have, like, you know, and, and that you bring to the space, like, and I think part of it is that it, you can really tell that you're so thankful and that is so, that's so infectious. So I thank you so much for that.
2: Thank you for this. I honestly, I randomly was introduced to the space because I started joining spaces very late after I had my daughter, I think she was Mm -hmm. over a year. When I joined this space, the rest slowly just like filtered out as unnecessary for me because <laughs> okay. the the connections are very different in this space. And you know what y'all bring to the space is definitely felt. And it's, you know, I'm just a person that honestly is genuinely happy for people getting pregnant. I get I'm like the hype team. I am the hype team. Which is so great. Like everybody <laughs> yes.
0: needs
2: a hype girl. And like, yes. it's and great. So I, I love the space because there's, there's just a, a good vibe. There's a good feeling. I am always excited to interact with people from the space because it's so weird. Black women are such survivors mm-hmm. and yet we're just not cared for in the right way in the health field, especially mm-hmm. maternal and reproductive health. And the way that we like care for each other in that space is so significant to me. And that's, you know, going back to school, I'm like, this is why I do it. Cause I see the women Mm -hmm. in that space and when they're having trouble medically with their doctors or this or that, Mm -hmm. this, I'm like, this is why I'm going back to school because we need advocates and you guys opening that space and creating it is advocacy for us. It's giving, it's empowering us. It's giving us what we need and introducing us to people that we may never have interacted with who have advice that we all needed to hear, you know?
1: Oh, you're going to make me cry. I (laughs) I will
0: not cry on camera. No, we appreciate you so much. I I definitely am
2: thankful for you guys. And I'm so happy I
0: found
1: it. (laughs) We appreciate the contributions you make to the space. You know, it 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 takes us all, right? And it's like, you know, these journeys, these stories are, are not just stories, right? We become invested in each mm-hmm. other. We become invested in each other's kids. And we are just like, you know, rooting both silently and vocally. And, you know, and I know for Hera and I, like the space is just super, super important. And, you know, to keep it safe, to keep it, you know, open, to keep it inclusive. And so, you know, thank you for sharing your story, because the joy that you bring, and I feel that joy. And it's like sometimes from the hardest journeys just comes that gratitude. It's like you've stolen joy, you know, and nobody can take it away. And, and it's just such a magical feeling. So
2: it is, I'm I'm very, I'm very lucky to be Meridian's mama. I always tell her that I'm like, thank you. (laughs) <laughs> you're, yeah, you're wild
0: but, you're, but i still love you <laughs> oh
2: but that's my little heart running all over the place and jumping and diving
0: yeah
1: <laughs> well well thank you kim for joining us and talking to us thank you for inviting um, me <laughs> um and for those of you who are listening if you like what you heard tell your family tell your friends about the podcast invite them to to listen in send us your questions follow us on instagram at mocha snc.com and leave a review well pod thank you so much for taking the time to listen if you like what you heard share us with your girlfriends we'd love to hear your thoughts so tell us what you thought of this episode on social media On Facebook, we are at Mocha SMC Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Mocha SMC. You can find additional information on the topics from the podcast at our website at mochasmc.com.
0: Till next time, Pod. Bye now.